Playing politics with the uh, Star Tribune editorial board begins right now. John Rash and Scott Gillespie from the Trib are with us. Good to chat with you guys, as always. Uh, Pretty stunning news today uh, as the insurrection hearings resume again. Uh, More law enforcement today. The commanding general, John, of the D.C. National Guard told lawmakers about restrictions the Pentagon placed on him. Major General William Walker said he did not receive approval to change the D.C. Guard's mission and send forces to the Capitol until three hours and 19 minutes after he first received an emotional call from the Capitol Police Chief requesting urgent backdrop. He faced a lot of questions questions afterwards when he said this, and he added, I had no issues in the summer when we had protest in D.C., in the streets, including outside the White House. When we asked for uh, backup there, when they reached out to us, boom, that request was granted. What stands out most to you about this hearing today, and are we headed to this 9-11-style commission that many people have called for? What stands out most is that it's a deadly delay. People died during this attack. A few officers tragically took their own lives after it, and many more were injured. This is not a political dynamic. This is a crime scene, and this is extraordinarily damning testimony. This will accelerate the efforts to have a 9-11-style commission, something we on the editorial board long ago called for, and This is not impeachment. That process is over at this point. It's important to note that that's a political process. This would be a fact-finding type panel. And assuming that they were able to get the um, people who are perceived as above partisan politics, as they did with the 9-11 Commission, it's imperative that country have a reckoning with what really happened. And if, as suggested by the testimony today, there was this inexcusable and lethal delay. The American public have a right to know why and how and where the delay came from, and to be able to have names named for the public mm-hmm. to be able to consider. Yep. And then petitions, particularly those who backed President Trump during the impeachment process over this, should be accountable as well in terms of you know, what happened and, and, and why they, the ability to call to account the person ultimately in charge. Scott, when you look back, uh, um, just let's look back to the 2000 election. Um, that was uh, a vicious election, right, involving mm-hmm. Al Gore and George W. Bush. There was a lot of divide with uh, Bill Clinton as president, and there was all sorts of uncertainty whether George Bush really won Florida. So there was a lot of divide. When 9-11 happened, the country came together, not long enough, but they came together, including coming together with a 9-11 commission, with highly regarded Republicans and Democrats working together. We're even further divided now, sadly. Can the parties, can a large enough portion of the country agree on who is on a potential commission so if they're put together when they offer up rulings people actually what a novel concept they'll accept this as opposed to just falling back 
I'm a Democrat, so it's this. I'm a Republican, so it's this. Well, I like to think that we could still uh, have that kind of investigation and that kind of a report, bipartisan, credible. Uh, but I understand what you're saying, Chad, and, and certainly your, uh, uh, your, your potential skepticism there is legitimate. It's, it, would, uh, it would be uh, a change uh, to see people actually accept it, to read it, to understand it. And then, you know, for the political leaders to, who weren't part of the commission to actually not politicize it, to not slice and dice it in a way that makes them look positive. And I think if I have one takeaway from the hearings, it's that there has been a lot of passing of the buck and that, I, you know, it, I'm not sure at the end of these hearings that we're going to really feel like we have a clear picture of where things failed. We'll have a lot of evidence, but not necessarily a lot of conclusions. And that's what I think we could get from, uh, you know, a good bipartisan investigation. I want to get to a number of points here. Scott, I'll start with you on this one. The last couple of days on this show, Monday, we had Congresswoman Ilhan Omar on. The next day, we had Congressman Pete Stauber on. And the main discussion, excuse me, was minimum wage within the COVID-19 bill. And at this point, it's out of the COVID-19 bill because the parliamentarian in the Senate has said with this form of reconciliation, it does not apply. But the minimum wage debate is still out there. I mean, uh, Ilhan Omar and others want Joe Biden to, to dismiss the parliamentarian and try to put it back in there. Where where do you think we are on this debate on minimum wage? This is on the federal side. Obviously, we have states stepping in. But the minimum wage right now is at 725 at the federal level. This bill would move it up. Uh, to $15 by 2025. How do you see this political debate playing out, Scott? And then, John, you jump in afterwards. And and how the public may play a role. Well, politically, I thought it was interesting in Wisconsin the other night that President Biden did say that he supports 15 still, but he also um, gave some, some room, some light to the possibility of something smaller, maybe 12, maybe 12 over time. Uh, so, you know, for some reason, and I, I guess it must be how the minimum wage plays in certain states as opposed to others, he's not leading exactly leading the parade on $15 an hour, even though he campaigned saying he supported it. And, you know, it's the, it, we've been down this road before. It's the debate over how many people benefit from it versus how many people might lose jobs because companies cut payroll to make up for the added wages that they're paying. And, the, you know, the CBO said with $15 an hour, it would lift 900,000 people out of poverty, but it would also result in 1.4 million jobs lost. So, you know, but there are many economists who will argue that those numbers aren't, you know, aren't legit. So, I, you know, politically, I think Biden's still trying to take a moderate approach to it. And uh, I, I don't think I don't see much chance of 15 happening. How about you, John? I concur with Scott that I don't see it happening at this point, partly because of the parliamentarian, but that eclipsed the real issue, which is that the democratically controlled Senate by one vote couldn't come to a consensus. And you have some more moderate to conservative Democrats who weren't going to back this, perhaps including 
Joe Manchin of West Virginia, who has emerged as the key power broker on Capitol Hill at this point. So in a way, despite the disappointment with the parliamentarians ruling, it obscured the fact that the Democrats can't come to an accord over this issue, which is perhaps why, as Scott mentioned, President Biden softened his language when he spoke about this recently, and perhaps he'll try and do something differently. And so I think that if it's going to happen, it's going to be in a separate bill, and they need to uh, coalesce 50 Democrats at minimum, and there may be a Republican or two who decide to join on to this, but this will deeply disappoint Democrats, and particularly those in the more progressive wing, but you have to have the votes to make something like this happen, and the fact that they couldn't put it in with the relief bill suggests that there's a lot more heavy lifting to do on Capitol Hill. Let's pause right here, come back. I want to talk about President Biden uh, making himself available to the press, and also Andrew Cuomo, and is he going to last and react to his comments in this hour. More of Plain Politics with the Star Tribune editorial board after this short pause on CCO. We continue uh, Plain Politics, Star Tribune editorial board, John Rash and Scott Gillespie. Uh, I was drawn to this uh, tweet from Jake Tapper, John, earlier in the day. He noted that an analysis of the past 100 years shows President Biden's 15 most recent predecessors all held a formal solo press conference within 33 days of taking office. He points out that President Biden has not had one, and it's day 42. Uh, That's not acceptable. That needs to be called out. It just adds to the narrative, and some of it, I think, was fact-driven. Some of it clearly was partisan-driven when he was candidate Joe Biden. Yes, there was a line where it made sense for COVID precautions. But come on, we know Joe Biden did not make himself available as almost all the candidates we've seen running for presidents, running for president, excuse me, going back decades. John, this has to be called out. Joe Biden needs to step up and answer questions. Indeed, he does. And in many ways, he's the antithesis of President Trump. To his credit, President Biden is not hostile to the press, doesn't use Stalinesque terms like enemy of the people or refer to their work as fake news. But conversely, he's not accessible to the press. And to his credit, President Trump was remarkably accessible, often in a a very um, contentious manner as he was leaving the White House or out on a campaign trip. But he did indeed engage with the press. President Biden, as Jake Tapper mentioned, and as you just described, has not done that to any degree that he should. And he's, of course, you know, there to serve the American people. The press is a conduit to that. So it's well past due where he makes himself more available. He has a press conference available to multiple reporters from multiple outlets and answers as many questions as he possibly can. And my sense is every day that goes by without him doing that, the pressure is going to continue to build and his colleagues in the White House are going to put a bit of pressure on him to try to mitigate this issue. So hopefully sooner rather than later, he'll indeed do so. Scott, I I watched a few of the press conferences uh, post-election, post-inevitability that he was going to be the president. And I'll be honest, I thought some of the press conferences were too chummy, were a little too collegial. And I get it's not going to be 
as adamant as the sparring was between the president, President Trump, as John just laid out. But but this is one the public should care about this. This isn't just media members saying the public needs to hear for the president. And it, and, and it doesn't count if it's just Jen Psaki, the press secretary. Yeah, completely agree with you. And uh, we've we've already talked about issues today that obviously he would be asked about in a press conference and pushed on in a press conference, like the minimum wage, uh, maybe like the income cap uh, uh, room that he's giving on the uh, on the stimulus payments. Um, these are, you know, these are issues that uh, Jen Psaki can give an answer, kind of a general roundabout answer, I'll get back to you kind of answer. But it's different if you have the President of the United States up there and he's got to take an initial question and follow-up questions. And he should. I thought that he gave, he's been giving mixed signals now on when he believes the country will be back to some sense of normalcy uh, post-pandemic. 100%. Uh, I agree. Yesterday, you know, I gave the very good news on Merck and J&J working together to ramp up the J&J vaccine. But at the same time, he said, we I hope we could be back to normal by this time next year. When <laughs> earlier he had, he had said in the same comments that we're going to get everybody vaccinated in May. Uh, so I don't know. There's just, there's just a myriad of questions, obviously. And they build. You know, 40 days in, that we built up a long list of things we'd like to talk to him about. How about the Khashoggi murder, for yeah. example, and his tepid response to that? So you're absolutely right, and um, uh, hope that hope that they remedy that situation very soon. I've got a minute total. Um, brief yes or no on an explanation. Scott, you first. Will Andrew Cuomo last? Mm. Wow. Uh Doubtful. I uh, just feel like, you know, the, it's a drip, drip of additional uh, allegations. And uh, uh, so you kind of think that he'll lose uh, he'll lose the faith of the folks uh, he represents and also those he needs to work with in his state. And uh, and now we have photographic evidence of one of those incidents. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I doubt it. John, I got about 20 seconds. What do you think? I concur with Scott for all the reasons that he listed. And I would add to that that there is not a reservoir of goodwill among fellow Democrats for Andrew Cuomo in terms of reportedly how he has treated them throughout the years. So very few, if any, are going to stick their neck out to try to keep him in office. So I don't think that he will last. Great stuff, guys. Thank you so much for coming on. Stay safe. We'll talk next week. Thank Thank you. you.